Welcome back, Immortal X friends. I am Cody, and I am here gladly for the first time in a while with all three of our friends together. So here I am with... I'm Riley. I'm Ethan. And we are here to celebrate uh, not only just being together, but celebrate Ethan finally finishing uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four uh, the entire run, both volumes. Uh, I know our last episode was Ethan doing his initial reaction uh, to the story, but now here we are about a week and a half out, our first time together in a while, uh, here to talk about Fantastic Four, uh, here to talk about Jonathan Hickman, and here to talk about where where our pods are going next. So um, we are looking forward to it. Guys, how are you doing? How are you doing today as we get ready for this? Dude, uh, I'm, I'm super glad to be with you guys in person again. Um, Really glad to be talking about this. I know that I've been particularly excited to get Ethan's reaction to Fantastic Four. It was uh, such a good read for me um, in the last year or whatever it's been since the uh, the omnibuses were reprinted. So I was stoked to hear uh, what he thought about it. And so to kind of go through some of the major beats and stuff, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm happy to be back uh and chatting comics yeah ethan how are you doing i'm doing great i you know like i said last time i thoroughly enjoyed this whole run uh there were just so many elements that i i really found interesting uh specifically how hickman chose to place the climax of this story kind of in the middle of the second volume and then left us this long epilogue full of several different storylines that each still served a purpose uh it you know not to bash the mcu but it didn't feel like a big post credit scene. It felt like each of the epilogues kind of did something important for the story. So, But anyways, yeah, I'm doing great. I really, really enjoyed this run. And uh, I, you know, they're, they're excited to hear this. But uh, Cody and Riley were right. I, you know, as soon as I finished, now I'm kind of going gaga for the next Hickman, Hickman run. Nice. I am, I'm glad to hear it. I think I'll, just a funny anecdote that I have about mcu when i was working when i first was working at marvel when i was in college um it was when johnny storm spoiler alert by the way for 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 all of hickman's um fantastic four run and probably a little bit of his his post fantastic four run uh with some avengers and x-men stuff because i definitely want to talk about some similar themes uh that kind of carry over and ethan has not read either of those yet so we will definitely try to have that there but um when I was working at Marvel, it was right when uh, Johnny Storm was dying and Future Foundation was about to start for the first time. And I really remember all the hot takes saying that Marvel had killed off Johnny Storm because Chris Evans was just cast as Captain America. And I remember that being like the gossip that was going on, which in reading this, spoiler alert, Johnny Storm is not dead. Uh, He comes back and comes back in a pretty cool way, um, I think, in a way that felt very like, a lot of times comics get a lot of crap for um, killing someone in the biggest of air quotes, uh, only to bring them back about a year later. But what I thought was cool about this is like his death still had consequences, right? And like, but it, it also still felt pretty like bred into the story in a very cool way. So I guess that's probably the biggest reveal. That's probably what a lot of Future Foundation, Council of Reeds, and Johnny Storm's death, when I was thinking back to like, what is this mostly going to be remembered for? I feel like those are like in the bigger pop culture landscape. Um, I guess those are some of the biggest things for me that I feel like have pretty lasting effects. Um, so what what are some thoughts? Let's start with Death of Johnny Storm. How do you guys feel about it? I um, 
you know, I would argue that when Johnny Storm died, I thought that was it. I thought it was permanent. I did not foresee any chance of him coming back. And I'm definitely glad that he did because, you know, the way they did it was so cool. But I really appreciated, especially that silent issue right after he died. Um, kind of just like this Infinity War moment of getting to see the heroes lose. Getting to see the heroes suffer loss and suffer grieving in the midst of all that was really interesting because Fantastic Four is such a family-orientated superhero group. So losing a member of the family obviously has like major consequences to their whole setup. Um, leading to, you know, the future foundation and Reed feeling guilty about, you know, everything. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed how Hickman handled that. I like that that issue makes it hurt that... The silent um, issue? Yeah, yeah, I, the silent issue, I mean, Johnny Storm goes out in, like, a great, like, you know, bone-chilling, exciting way, and it... It is crazy. And, you know, you read this issue like, oh, my gosh, they're killing off Johnny Storm. That's crazy, you know. And then you follow it with, you know, an issue titled The Month of Mourning. And you get to watch the other members of the the team and, you know, surrounding superhero communities, the Avengers and whoever else, members of the X-Men, uh, like, respond to what has just happened. Um and you get to kind of watch it in silence as it goes. And it almost like it leaves you kind of feeling that raw, just like mm. that hurt that some of the characters are experiencing. Um, while I am very easily like excited and like moved by things that happen in comics, I am not by nature a person that gets emotional at things. Um but you have a sequence when, you know, um, because of the story beats that happen as Johnny Storm is, is dealing with this stuff in the negative zone and whatever, um, what it comes down to is Ben Grimm feels like it's his fault or at the very least that he could have done something more to save his brother from dying in, in this way. So you have this really moving series of panels where the only people that are strong and capable enough to allow him to get some of his grief and rage out uh, are Bruce Banner and Donald Blake, Thor, and the Hulk in the desert with him, basically allowing him to beat the crap out of them mm -hmm. in order to get some of his, you know, some of his rage and anger and hurt out. Um, I found that in the midst of a run that I was really enjoying to have an issue be silent, but as moving as it was, I felt was a very powerful thing. Uh, yeah, a very cool story. I thought, um, can you tell us as, so pivoting back to you, what is your first experience reading Hickman's fantastic four? And what was your initial because you've reread this in the last year or so, yeah. but it is not your first read of this story. So what was your first read of this story? When did that happen? And what was your initial reaction to this happening? Uh, I definitely picked up at a free comic book day or something in the, what, like 2010, 2011 of um, Future Foundation 1 when that first came out. I remember grabbing that. I remember... Um, you know, reading online just about what had happened, nothing of the circumstances that led to his death, which uh, 
are so well orchestrated. Like it really is kind of a, an impossible scenario. Uh, and I love how it gets the team separated. Mm -hmm. um, and then near the end of both volumes with the, the problem of the five cities, like it almost kind of repeats itself, but now they're together mm -hmm. and they get to solve it, which is really cool. But uh, my first time reading it, I remember reading this entire run on um, Marvel Unlimited uh, in probably probably 2014, 2013 maybe. Um, I, I had just finished, uh, it was right around the time that Secret Wars, I think Secret Wars was still coming out when okay. I read it. Um, and I think I remember feeling like, oh man, this is so Fantastic Four heavy. I want to know more about some of these other pieces to feel like I really appreciate it. By then I was already all in on um, New Avengers and Avengers. And so I went back and I reread it. And um, the beginning pieces, I, I remember really liking uh, the like Dark Rain tie-ins at the beginning. Uh, I lost some steam in the middle where it was just a bit more kind of episode of the week mm -hmm. issues uh but then by the time it was it was revealed what was going on with um the early stages of atlantis and the cult of zero and what that was leading towards i was pretty hooked um and and that was that was so fun to read so i remember feeling not not shocked because i knew johnny storm died because of the solicits back then and also knew that he was coming back but i remember feeling really impressed when you've been reading comics for a long time, characters die. Characters die all the time. And so getting to read a death that was actually like, oh, that was cool. But uh, it's always good when they die and you're left wondering, I wonder how they're going to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I had that knowledge going in. I know Ethan was just saying, he's like, yep, that was it. Like, I wish I had that. But I think credit to the, the writing and art team where I was still really excited to see how this was going to play out right. in, in the pages of Future Foundation and going forward. But I do remember, because Marvel Unlimited, you can see like the next issue. And if you want to, you can see all of the next issues. I remember being like very careful with like my eyes to make sure I clicked just on the next one to try not to get a cover, a cover spoiler too far down the road. Well, I think something that... Um... It was interesting that Ethan brought up a moment ago um, the feeling that you get at the end of uh, the MCU's Infinity War where you you know that it's not the end, but it still feels like a huge sucker punch that you the movie just ended in that way. Um, and that the format that Ethan and I both experienced Fantastic Four is in the two omnibus forms, right? So you read the death of Johnny Storm and then you get one or two future foundation issues following it and then the omnibus is over so in my case the the reprint of the second volume wasn't out yet so mm. i had that you still in, had to wait yeah i had yeah. that infinity war feeling of like johnny storm just died i get a little hint of what's coming with the next couple of uh, future foundation issues and then it's over and I have to wait a little while before the second volume comes out. So in, I mean, it, what's interesting is the, the kind of format in which we absorbed this material, you kind of do get that almost cliffhanger esque, uh, vibe as you know, in my case, I had to wait a uh, two months or something for the next volume to come in. Um, and then in Ethan's case, you know, he had to come and pick up the next <laughs> volume. So it, it's, it's like, 
you kind of do get a little bit of that Infinity War, you know. You could. You know it's not over, but that doesn't mean that it changes some of the feelings that you, you have to leave with, at least for a bit. Yeah. I would, I would argue that it's entirely comparable to the last two Avengers movies, the first volume being Infinity War, um, with that sucker punch, you know, cliffhanger at the end. And then the second volume comes in with the climax, and that's that's Endgame. Comparably, yeah. that's Endgame. That's where you know it's not over, so something has to happen. What is that going to be? That was the second volume for me. Um, I think what I just what I really appreciated about the way he set that up is his placement for major plot points. And I've said before, I really didn't think I was going to enjoy having the climax be towards the beginning, middle of the second volume. Uh, but I, you know, in the end, I actually really did because because of the epilogues that we got, and just specifically on Johnny Storm's death, mm-hmm. where he placed that being right at the end. If he knew that the omnibus form was going to be the way it was primarily released, I think it was perfect, and I think it was a pretty smart decision. So, uh, a question that I want to ask is is kind of a tricky one. That something that I personally really appreciate about Jonathan Hickman as a writer is that. He kind of throws you right into the middle of something. You are reading and absorbing, but maybe not fully comprehending what's happening yet. That, you know, okay, I'm kind of slogging through these issues and I I feel like I'm, I'm with it, but I'm not sure, you know. But then once you've finished everything, the picture becomes clear and you understand what it all was and how it all was working together. Um... While you were going through the two volumes, how are you feeling about like, where is this going versus what it now looks like now that you can see the full picture? Like, can you talk about what were some of your thoughts as you were kind of like going through each of the issues versus now I understand where the whole thing was going? Like, how did your perspective on the on the whole work change as you experienced it? Sure, that's actually a really good question. Um, I would argue that Hickman's storytelling isn't linear. It's not A, B, C, D, finale done. Um, he, you know, I would argue he's a master of setup. Uh, there were definitely a lot of issues and a lot of sets of issues where I was confused or not necessarily confused, but where I just, I wasn't sure where it was going. And it wasn't until the end of a volume or the end of the story itself where I realized, okay, now I can go back and look and be like, this is what this meant. This is what this set up. This is what this accomplished. I didn't understand it at first, but it took me seeing the full picture to get the whole thing. Um, and, you know, I think there are several examples of that, especially the biggest one that everyone talks about is, is, uh, older Franklin and Valeria coming back towards the end, I had no idea who that was at first. When he first appeared to younger Franklin, to himself, I was very confused with that whole thing. And so it took that grand finale, them coming back and kind of saving the day to tie the whole thing together and to say, okay, now I understand your purpose. Now I understand what that was. I was lost in the moment with that, but now I understand it. Mm-hmm. I I think with this one especially, I... I know you and I can sing the praises of Avengers and New Avengers all day, but it's like, I do appreciate that this one is clunkier. Like, I really do think so. I don't think this one, it's, I think it has some beats that are so high, but I definitely don't think it's a perfect run, but I also don't think it has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think especially with some of the stuff with like the, oh my gosh, the other Earth, New Earth, 
mm-hmm. or whatever. Like that, that stuff still like is always super forgettable for me. Yeah. Um, with other banner and those characters and the, but all of that, like, I think that's is where Hickman sometimes gets not flack for, but it's like, he'll have all these beats, but the setup of that is that there's a dead Galactus mm-hmm. because of that that right. he can now play with later on. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I still really appreciate that. And I feel like all of those pieces are still there. Um, and I feel like as a whole, the highs of this are so high, but I definitely feel like there are a few messy pieces that I'm glad exist though, uh, because I still feel like it gets to kind of flesh out this run. Um, and I definitely, something that I was thinking about when I was looking through this again, is it's like, I feel like Reed is obviously the main character of this run. I think Reed and I think Valeria, especially the future foundation, but I definitely think that the others still get a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. But, and I remember you and I kind of talking about this early on, Riley is, it's like um, Ben and Johnny are kind of on the back burners, at least at the beginning until they're not. Right. And then they're more central. And I think he does a great job of balancing people. But even when rereading through, I remember it being such a big deal when um, future foundation was announced and the covers and the, the costume for, spider-man being part of the future foundation but it's like i think he's really underutilized um i definitely don't i think he was there to like fill a gap and kind of be like the audience intro character to what was going on yeah but i i could not tell you what spider-man does in that arc Mm -hmm. and i feel that way with some of the other characters too like there's a few that really stand out but there's some moments like that where i'm like hmm like that they obviously weren't what was important. Huh. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that's kind of how I feel about some of the some of the peripherals sure. of that. Or there's a few more that I wish I could have seen more of. Yeah, I uh, think that's fair. Yeah. Um something that I so uh as Ethan was rereading stuff, you know, I would flip through um my books and just kind of refresh on some of the things that, you know, he was experiencing for the first time and I wanted to be able to talk to him about. Um Something that I, that sticks out in my mind, you know, there are of course so many story beats that are awesome and mind blowing. And of course we'll talk about, but one of the things that I find is so special about this particular run from start to finish is that it has a thesis statement that it kind of follows the entire way through. Mm. Um, And it's so simple that every boy deserves a father and from the very beginning to the very end of the major arc you have this very, very simple thesis statement. And in the midst of it, you get the war of four cities and you get Valeria and all hope lies in doom. And you get all this stuff and mad celestials and Galactus and all this, you know, crazy stuff. But ultimately this fantastic four family story comes back to this, this very simple idea of every boy deserves a father. And I just, I really like the fact that, sure the story has like all of this like larger than life stuff in it but it all kind of returns to this very simple idea of family is a beautiful thing so so on that note and this is something that i feel like i have a few other thoughts on it is reed richards a good father Ooh, because i kind of Uh. feel like even though that's the statement of it i kind of think he fails I think that's kind of the point where it's like, to me, I feel like father figures, especially that Franklin really gets are, are Johnny, mm-hmm. are, and his future self. 
I'm gonna like argue... I feel like any of the fatherly lessons that he's getting are from from Johnny Storm and the adventures that he goes on and in the morning him that way or from his future self basically actually teaching him in a way his dad couldn't yeah is almost what it seems like well I just think I mean in the first volume Reed is set up to be such a such an all-powerful character you know and mm-hmm. his intellect gets him very far but and again this is going back to what Riley said about the thesis statement regardless of how smart he is, regardless of how powerful or, you know, knowledgeable he is about the universe, that cannot make up for fatherhood. That cannot make up for family. And I, you know, I love how he kind of goes on this arc to learn that he has to sacrifice his own ambition and his own ego to, you know, work for his family, work to save his family. I would argue that he is a good father. And the reason I say that is not necessarily because of stuff that he did, but it's because of stuff that he learned. Um, you know, in the end, it was kind of that, uh, it was kind of that Howard Stark, Tony Stark moment of you were my greatest creation when he sees Franklin come back and save the day from the Mad Celestials and, you know, use Galactus. I don't necessarily think that Reed should be able to take the credit for that, but he did raise the person who did that. Even if he didn't raise him to the fullest extent, he's still partially responsible for it. And I would argue that even if he made mistakes as a father, he learned how to be a good father in the end because he saw the product of his work uh, save the day. I think my thought on this is pretty similar. I think that he, you can argue that he's not a, he's not a successful father, but that he is a good one though mm. in that the entire Council of Reeds arc all begins with all of these reeds that have made the decision that our families are not more important to us than saving the universe than cultivating the universe in our in whatever way and our main 616 reed makes the choice that no my family is more important to me and i think that kind of that choice makes me want to say like yes i think reed is a good father if not necessarily a successful one you know Mm. that he's not always there for his kids he doesn't take reed or he doesn't take franklin to the toy store he makes johnny do it instead you know but he ultimately made the decision at the beginning that no i will not you know i will not compromise on this that Yes, I can do all of these things. I can be a part of this council. I can create, you know, worlds of wheat and feed planets and and all of the things. But in if the the cost is sacrificing my family, you know, I'm not willing to compromise that, you know. So, I don't know. I I think you could really argue this in either direction, but if if I had to make a distinction, I would say I think Reed is a good father or at least wants to be but he's not necessarily very successful at it. I will say without spoiling a lot for Ethan, I definitely, definitely agree. And I feel like it, it shows that he at least learns from this in the new Avengers run. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just, I think there's a lot to do in this, especially about um, trying to do things yourself, trying to solve for everything by yourself the whole arrogance idea of like a council of all me will be able to solve these things. And then realizing that that doesn't matter, that it still falls apart and needing people that are different than you needing villains, needing, needing doom, needing, 
your young daughter to like kind of push you towards the future. Um, I definitely really like that. I really like the idea of how he's saying he's like, it's not my peers that are going to be able to help us go towards the future. It's, it's the future that's already here mm. that I definitely think sets him up to be, well, once again, not a successful father, but a father who is trying to like care for his family in the way that he knows how. So now another thing that we could dive into a little bit without getting too heavy into it for uh, Avengers, new Avengers leading into secret wars is this is where we start to get a hint at the relationship between Reed Richards and Dr. Doom and just how far that relationship carries between the next several stories that we're going to get. What were some of the things that you enjoyed about seeing Reed Richards and Dr. Doom kind of playing off of each other, like the back and forth between them. Because this is in a, in a lot of ways, this is the first act of a very huge story, not only for the whole universe as it is, you know, for a good chunk of years in Marvel comics, but also for Reed Richards and Dr. Doom. This is the first act of a larger story between those two. Mm. So I'm curious as to, how did you feel about those two's interactions? Like some of the stuff that they kind of had to do together. So understanding the way Reed's mind works and then, you know, the flip side of that, the way Victor's mind works, I think they view each other as a project to work on. Reed looks at Dr. Doom and says, I want you to be better. I want you to be more like me. And then Dr. Doom looks at Reed and thinks the same way. So I think they really play off of each other well just kind of being like, they don't have a lot in common. They're opposites in a lot of different ways, but they're still able to uh, accomplish a lot together, I guess, story-wise, because they view each other as projects, as things that need to be fixed. Um, I kind of appreciate how Dr. Doom is led into the fold a little bit as a as a pseudo-family member, just because despite all that they've gone through, Reed still cares for him, still cares for him deeply. Um, there's a reason that as soon as Reed discovered the council and discovered what they had done to the dooms from other universes, he felt sick to his stomach uh, and he felt like it was wrong, morally speaking. So I just, I really enjoy that kind of, we hate each other. We love each other. We're important to each other dynamic that, uh, that they have with each other. What are some of your thoughts on this, Dr. Doom and, and Mr. Fantastic's yeah. relationship at this point? At this point, I think I, I agree with you, Ethan. I really like when our Reed is like upset with the uh, the inhibitor collars on the Dooms mm. and the Council, and he's like, this is wrong. Like, I didn't sign up for this, but also, like, still doesn't go and free him, you know? And, and same with this Doom. Like, I think it's, he's trying to solve for everything. I definitely think... Reed knows Doom is a problem. He knows Doom is an issue. But, like, um, yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do lead towards each other. And it is those things where, at the top of my head, everything that Doom's doing in this book, I can't think of it a whole lot. Um, I really just think more about uh, what he's about to do. Um, So I definitely, definitely appreciate that. But, uh, I think um, one of the panels that comes to mind real quick... uh, I just grabbed the book and opened it right to where I needed to be. Um, You're so smart. So I, uh, wow. I, so I read Avengers, New Avengers, and Secret Wars first, and then came back to this. So 
knowing, you know, the, the second and third act, so to speak, of mm-hmm. what this all is before coming back to this, something that ended up being incredibly notable to me as I was reading is you have the Council of Reeds, they're introducing uh, our, our read to all of these dooms that have the collars on, you know, they've been, you know, lobotomized and put in a basement. Um, and one of the elder Reed says, quote, you don't know it yet, but you'll learn that there is no greater threat in the universe than doom. His appetite is unmatched. He will never break. He will never yield. And I really love knowing exactly where this is going to go, just how much of a threat Dr. Doom is and that all of the other reads know it. And even still, as they communicate all of that to our 616 read, he still ultimately views that as something that is sure he might believe them when they say that it's necessary, but he still views it as something that's not right. Yeah. Um, I do I like just, that. Mm, yeah. And I, it is also one of those things where it's like, at the end of the day, like, Doom is the one that will save them all. Yeah. Like, he does it poorly, but he still is the one who needs to, who will save them all. And if Reed tried to take him off the board, like, he'll never do that in the same way that Doom would do to him, mm-hmm. as we see. Like, I think that is the difference between Reed and Doom. As like Reed will always give him that chance to be better, and I think yeah. that is what makes him a good hero. Um, yeah, yeah. I think those are some of my thoughts. Any time? How long have we been going? Been for a while. Any any final kind of final thoughts on on this run? Anything that you like? Was it what you were hoping it would be? Is there anything that your your biggest takeaways from this run? How will you look back at this? There was there was one moment uh, in kind of that series of different epilogues that really stuck with me. Emotionally, it hit me very hard, but I also think it really kind of sums up the whole greater aspect of some of these characters. Uh, and that is the that is the death of Ben Grimm that we see thousands and thousands of years into the future. Just kind of seeing that, regardless of the influence that these heroes had regardless of, you know, the family structure that they created, uh, it doesn't last forever. And Franklin kind of being this immortal being, um, I think we all thought it was really cool. But, you know, what really sticks out to me with that is that now he's alone. Now he is alone with these celestial beings and with these higher powers and his family, the people who he grew up with, he gets to watch them kind of wither away in the world that they saved. Uh, And that was so painful but so beautiful at the same time um that one really really stuck with me but i think just as a whole i really appreciate what riley said earlier this story as a thesis statement and that thesis statement is you know one every boy deserves a father and two family takes priority over ambition and ego um that's yeah that's what's going to stick with me my yeah you want to go you go ahead. So my favorite of all the epilogues and one that is like, when I was really excited to reread this, something that stood out to me the most was um, the epilogue chapter with older Franklin, Franklin and Leech. And uh, it's clear that older Franklin has been teaching Franklin how to use his powers and going into the closet and creating worlds. And they've established a series of rules. And then in this last issue uh, with older Franklin, he just 
tosses all the ideas at once and there's this brilliant panel of Franklin and Leach just looking out as all of the ideas are happening and they both just go oh shit and I I love it so much and I think that is something that I've loved of this entire series is like there's still so much um there's so much hope um in the unknown hope in breaking these rules hope in like not relying on societal expectations but instead like you know not not hope solves everything but it's like but it kind of did um the the hope and the perseverance and the trusting in one another and that's still like that childlike wonder of just pure creation um can be so powerful and so I feel like that this whole so much of what he created in this arc has now been ripped off by so many different things like so much of what the Bioshock games have done are, are, you know, rooted in this. So much of what Rick and Morty has done is rooted in this. So much of what the MCU is like beginning to do is rooted in this. And so just, um, just seeing this is kind of like a jumping off point for a lot of like modern sci-fi and that it still has such a heart though, uh, makes me really happy and something that I'm, I'm excited to return to, especially when I, you know, do my, my annual, <laughs> rereads of of his uh of all hickman everything his his marvel discography yeah i think um my my final note is i just appreciate the heart that this book has that you were speaking on just now um you know i i'm reminded of the big finale uh as the mad celestials return and um you have an issue where the the fantastic four and valeria and franklin and i think a few members of the future foundation are also there are standing in front of the mad celestials and being attacked and as sue storm is the the lone you know member of the team that is protecting the rest of them um you get narration from you know an issue 60 issues before of older Valeria telling her like when all seems lost and you feel like you can't go on look to the sky or or whatever it is and in that moment as you're not super sure what's happening there's a flash of light and as Sue looks up in the sky you know Reed asks her something like what is it what do you see and she says it's everything it's our children and I just I really love uh that this book is full of Galactus and all of this crazy, amazing stuff, you know. Uh, the the finale of this thing being such an incredible, like, mind-blowing moment that you still have at the, at the center of this story. Just this really beautiful, um, you know, a, a mother and a father who care for their family and, and a team that loves each other and... Ben Grimm not being a blood relation to the others, but him, he's an equal member of their family and just what this is. Um, I think it just has a lot of that heart that you're speaking on. And, and that is what lingers when I think about this particular, uh, this run from top to bottom. Mm, yeah. Well, so what's next? What's next? We have been talking about Fantastic Four for, for a long time now. Um, I think this is our third or fourth like episode on these books alone um ethan has now read them i'm sure we will revisit them at some point especially once we start talking about uh new avengers avengers secret wars um but 
uh, we are kind of going to try a new experiment um, with Ethan and uh, Hickman's X-Men work now. Uh, we are talking, of course, of House of X, Powers of Ten, uh, where we are going to uh, start start a bit of a read-along and a rediscovery uh, with Ethan, Riley, and myself. Uh, so stay tuned on that. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We are excited to get you some more uh, episodes talking about comics, talking about pop culture, and um, we will we will be back soon. Thanks for listening. Read comics with us. Read comics. Bye.